Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, with his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Welcome to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson, family practice physician. Once again, I have Pastor Hank Williams, my pastor from Boiling Springs First Baptist Church, here in my studio as my guest. Pastor Hank, welcome. So good to be back with you, Dr. Jackson. As we promised last week, I've asked Dr. Hank to come in and we're going to address a, a very ticklish issue, which is the issue of the persecution of the church. Many of you have been listening to the news for the last couple of weeks, and you're very well aware of what's happening in Afghanistan. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ that are being persecuted unto death in Afghanistan because of the Taliban takeover in Afghanistan and in Kabul. And it has wounded our heart. It has broken our heart to see what is happening there. And in fact, I I was reading a, a news report just last week that there were Christian leaders in Afghanistan, uh, all of whom have an identity card, and it identifies their religion. And these men, uh, with a great deal of courage and boldness, had changed on their identity card their religious identification, and they had begun to identify themselves as Christian Mm. in the last few years, partly because of the presence of the American military. Now, I, I don't know what their decision would have been if the American military had not been there. I don't know what their decision would have been if they had known in advance that the American military was going to evacuate. I don't know their heart. I don't know their intentions. But nevertheless, these, these men who were leaders in their community had identified as Christian. And now there's a very real likelihood it's going to cost them their lives. And so it's, it's hurtful to my heart, and, and Christians all over the world are watching what's happening there in Afghanistan. And so, um, Pastor Hank, your message uh, a couple of weeks ago at our church was very timely. Mm. And so we were there in John chapter 15, talking about where Jesus had told his disciples in advance that the world hated him yeah. and that the that they the, the world was going to hate his followers yeah. and that uh, a disciple was certainly not going to be greater than his master right and so you started off by saying this this statement he you said to be forewarned is to be forearmed yeah. how about share with us what exactly what yeah. you meant by yeah. all of that well the 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 context of this whole uh, text is Jesus uh, the what's called the upper room discourse in some cases really from about chapter 13 of John through chapter 17 into chapter 18 is really Jesus is pulling away from public ministry these are not public statements he's making to the masses and the multitudes mm-hmm. he's now speaking intimately to his disciples and at this point Judas is left and so now it's those other 11 disciples and he's really just pouring himself into them and he's begun to help them to understand the reality that soon they will understand vividly He's leaving. 
and uh, they're struggling with that. There's a sense of they're, they're destabilized, they're insecure, they're frightened, they're a little frustrated because in their minds still they believe Jesus was going to help usher in a new kingdom now, and they were going to reign and rule with him now and overtake the Romans and and establish a new order of things. And so they're coming to the grips with the reality that uh, that Jesus is 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 going to go away, and so he's trying to build up a foundation for them to understand who he is and to follow him and to carry out the mission, the great commission that he's going to give them as they're going to give birth to the New Testament church uh, in Acts when they're filled with the Holy Spirit and then Peter preaches and the church is born. Uh, but he's really pouring into them the need to abide in him. And so just before this text of, of facing the reality of persecution, he's talked about the need to remain in him, abide in him, spend time in him. And again, that's a great word for us in this moment or any moment uh, that certainly as adversity comes and the potential for uh, difficulty comes, those various trials that James talks about that come in all kind of ways is to live in a sense of having of, of abiding in Christ and that idea of really living in him and spending time in, with him in intimacy. Uh, he's, he used that analogy, that word picture of the vine and the branches. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me, I'll abide in you. And so he's really been trying to lean into that truth with them. Abiding is going to be, remaining in me is going to be so pivotal in order for you to remain and be strong. And then he talks about loving one another, abide in my love, and and how they're going to need to love one another. So the idea of growing, drawing closer to Jesus, drawing closer to one another, are two principles that we really need to 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 once again embrace that in this season uh in our own country but yes. around the world we need to draw closer to the lord and closer to our brothers and sisters in christ and so it's in that context that jesus then begins in john chapter 15 verses 18 and 19 to forewarn them about what they can expect what the posture of this world is going to be toward christians and he's beginning to share that with them. And uh, that in that way, he's forearming them. He's preparing them for what's to come as he talks about what they can expect and what their life can be like. Well, now, what is the posture of the world towards us Christian folks? You know, I've, I've said it in two words that I think Jesus has, has uh, sort of characterized when he says, first of all, the world's going to hate you. So you can expect the posture of the world. And, and by the way, the word world there that's used eight times or so in that text is not people. It's the world system. It is ultimately, the Ephesians 2, the prince and power of the air of this world. It's those things that are under the influence of Satan, the, the systems of this world that do govern and rule people because they're without Christ. And so he says this world system that Satan is leading, uh, first of all, is gonna, they're going to be hateful. He mm -hmm. said, he says there, uh, if the world hates you, you know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world because of this world, because of this, the world is going to hate you. And so there's this real reality that whether we're in Afghanistan or whether we're here in, in this upstate area, the world system that Satan is controlling and governing is going to hate us because of Christ, because of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I'm, I was reminded thinking about, as you said, these Afghani, 
uh, uh, the whole population there. But certainly my heart's been uh, crying out for on behalf of our brothers and sisters, those Christians, because they are clearly marked yes. at this point. The, the, the Taliban and other organizations are trying to seek them out. Uh, and and basically say you'll either recant your faith or you'll die, and uh, you know I, I and I've been reading about some of our brothers and sisters there in Afghanistan that are saying, and and this is something because we don't live in a context thankfully like that here in the United States and here in the upstate we're blessed not to live under that kind of a threat uh, today, um, but to hear them say we if the Lord delivers us then then glory praise to the Lord. But if he not does not deliver us, we're going to shine the light of Christ in our death. We're going to die for the sake of the gospel. And to hear them in that fiery furnace mm-hmm. of that kind of real persecution and that kind of the hate of the world uh, coming and the hurt of the world coming against them. You know, I was reminded of a story that I, I heard a few years ago about uh, a medical doctor, a gynecologist, Dr. Jackson. Her name was Dr. Meyer. Uh-huh. And she was a missionary in Yemen. Uh-huh. And... Uh, she had, was single, and she just was going to give her life there for the Lord to serve in Yemen. And uh, not about three years into her practice there, uh, one of the ladies, the Yemeni lady, said, come. She was pregnant, and she wanted her to come to and see this American doctor. And she did, and she really came to appreciate her. And she went back and told her husband, that's who I want to deliver my child. I want to make her my doctor. Unbeknownst to even the wife, uh, the next time this man came to visit, uh, with her wife. He said, I want to meet this American doctor. Uh, he had a trench coat on and he walked in that little clinic where Dr. Meyer was working and uh, with his wife and uh, he pulled out an uh, assault rifle and he killed three American missionaries. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Meyer was one of them who mm-hmm. died for the sake of the gospel. One of the men that was over the missions organization that she was a part of uh, happened to be in the town, I think it was in Kansas, I want to say, Midwest, where she was from, and met her dad, who was also a medical doctor. Mm. And, and so I have to see that runs in your family as well. Yeah. Her father was a general practitioner. And this man that was the head of the organization, he looked at, uh, at Dr. Meyer's dad and said, Dr. Meyer, um, well, I'm confused. Why was your daughter, because she was buried there in Yemen, why did they bury her? Why didn't they fly her back to the cemetery here at the church and, and let her be buried there with her people? And uh, her dad told this missionary leader this. He said, my daughter told me when she went to Yemen, she said, Daddy, you know that this is dangerous. I'm going to a part of the country, a part of the world that's dangerous. And if by chance something were to happen, she said, Daddy, I don't want you to fly my body home to be buried here. I want you to let it be buried there in Yemen. And when her dad had asked her, why do you want to do that, honey? She said, Daddy, because listen, if I die there in Yemen and you fly my body back here, my grave will be just another grave, Daddy. But she said, if you let them bury me in Yemen, my grave will be a testimony. That's right. She said, Dad, I want my grave to be a testimony. And Dr. Meyer's life has been a powerful. I thought about when I heard those Afghani Christians saying, I want my death to be a death for the sake of the gospel. Yes. What an amazing testimony that is. And we're, we praise the Lord for those amazing women. Dr. Meyer's life continues to live, continues to minister right. and serve. And so Jesus is saying, listen, guys, prepare yourselves, whether you're in the upstate of South Carolina yes. or whether you're in Afghanistan. The reality is this world 
system is going to hate you because it's hated me. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from this world. And that's the idea. And so why is it the world hated Jesus? Because he, again, upset the order of things. He claimed, he said, I am God's son. I am the Messiah. I'm the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies. Mm-hmm. I'm the bread of life. I am the, the resurrection and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And this was even the Jewish people. He certainly uh, was not accepted by the, he was hated by the Romans because again, he was, he was, uh, pr- placing a threat against the Roman rule, uh, claiming he was a greater authority, uh, that he was authority of God himself. And so, uh, Jesus was hated. And we can expect that kind of treatment as Christians. And what form that may take here in the upstate may look very different. Maybe it's just that we're rejected in a, in a friend group or we're, we're alienated at work or we have to face some sort of uh, spirit of being somebody being hateful in our neighborhood because they know that we're a Christian. But let me just make this disclaimer, Dr. Jackson. I think this is important in a, in a culture, in a time that seems to be so electrically charged with so many kind of things that tend to be volatile in so many ways. Uh, I, I pray that we would never be hated because we're hateful. That's right. I pray that Christians should never be hated because we're being ugly yeah. and because we're being vengeful and because we're we're treating people in an ungodly way. Let us never be uh, hated because we're hateful, but because we're Christians, because we're trying to reflect and represent the Lord Jesus Christ, that we're going to face that kind of hatred. And the second word that Jesus, that I've characterized Jesus' words as meaning, not only they're going to be hateful as a spirit, it's an attitude towards you, but Jesus says, listen, it's going to go further than that. They're going to be hurtful. And he said, he's really talking about persecution there in chapter 15, verse 20 and 21. He says, remember the word I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master, as you alluded to earlier, Dr. Jack. And he said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. And so Jesus is saying there, as as, uh, Paul warned us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, indeed, all who desire to live godly will face persecution. Mm -hmm. And you know, and I know. Know you've had a great heart, uh, a missions heart. Mm. Uh, we've been on mission trips together in places like India, and so we've shared together uh, how our hearts are are hurting and broken because we know some of our very pastors yeah. that we've had the privilege of training mm-hmm. and sharing with. We've really learned a lot more from them than they have us, I'm sure. But to see their passion for Christ there in India, knowing that uh, on a daily basis and certainly on a regular basis, their lives are at stake yeah. for the sake of the gospel. We know that some of their churches have been burned recently. I know that uh, several of those men have been thrown in prison uh, because of the preaching of the gospel just in the recent months, and uh, and they're facing ongoing persecution like that. Uh, we know that that's happening all over the world. Some 200 million Christians face persecution uh, on a daily basis around the world, and uh, 43 million people, Christians, uh, in the last 2,000 years have been martyred. Uh, for the faith, listen, 50% of those have been in the last 100 years. Mm. And so we don't think about persecution and martyrdom in that kind of a time frame. But even in the last 100 years, that's been true. And so we know that every day, somewhere, different statistics, World Evangelical Encyclopedia says, I think, between 300 and 500 uh, Christians every day oh, are martyred goodness. for their faith. And so we know that it's real. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, of course, in that great sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so what I would say to students, 
uh, who go into a school. This is a world system that, again, this world without Christ is not going to be, it's going to hate uh, because it's it's led by the, the spirit of the one who is the ultimate authority of this world, the prince and power of this world, is Satan. Mm-hmm. And so you may go to school, and because of your faith, if you share your faith and you live out your faith in real and pe- public ways, uh, you may well be rejected. You may face that kind of hatred, that kind of spirit of animosity mm-hmm. uh, from other folks as students at school or in your place of employment. And so, you know, I think the key is that we recognize, mm-hmm. as Jesus was preparing them, this needs to be something that that doesn't surprise you, That's right. doesn't but that doesn't caught, catch you off guard. But <laughs> you understand that this is to be expected for those who follow Jesus Christ. Because of him, we're going to be hated, and the world may even be hurtful. Uh, I pray that that doesn't happen. It doesn't be the, the case immediately in our context, but none of us know the future. Yeah. And we need to be prepared to stand faithful right. where, wherever we may be, whether we're here or in yeah. another part of the world. And Paul told Timothy that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Yeah. Don't be surprised. Yeah. Well, now, why, why do we need to know how to respond to all of this, Pastor Hank? Well, I think, you know, again, so that we're not surprised. Yep. Because Jesus was saying that to them. As a matter of fact, he went and said there in chapter 16, the first few verses, verse 1, he says, these things I've spoken to you. So if we want to know why we need to know, Jesus is saying, these very things I've said, here's the reason I've spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling. That word is scandalizo in the Greek. It's to make a scandal, to make a mess that you might uh, embarrass or bring shame to the name of the Lord. Don't be surprised. Jesus said, I'm telling you, this is expected. This is the posture of the world toward Christians. Because of your faith, there's going to be this hateful spirit. There's going to be potentially even this hurtful spirit. And so you need to be uh, prepared so that you don't stumble, so that you don't make a a mess of your faith and, and destroy your witness because you weren't prepared to stand up for Jesus Christ and be counted for Christ. And so he says, first of all, that's so you don't stumble. And secondly, he says, so that you may remember who you are. I'm telling you these things. We need to know how we should respond that in some form, persecution is going to be uh, a part of our Christian life, even here in some way, in some measure, we're going to have to face persecution and even the hatred, a spirit of hatred of this world. Uh, and so he's telling us these things. So as that happens, we can remember to find our identity in Jesus, mm-hmm. that we can remember who we are. He says, uh, so that in verse four there of John chapter 16, so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of these things. Mm-hmm. And so we need to remember constantly, even as we think of the Lord's Supper, we remember uh, his sacrifice, his, well, he faced persecution, the hatred of the world, the, the sin of the world was placed on him, and uh, he was despised and rejected. That's the ultimate picture of hatred and persecution. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper and those sacraments, the bread representing his body and the juice representing his blood, we do that to remember his love for us. And so as we face things that have some similarity in the way of suffering, he says, happy are you in First Peter if you suffer for the name of Christ. And so it an, enables us to remember our identity in Christ and that we're suffering with Christ and for the cause of Christ. And then ultimately, I think he says, uh, him telling these things so that you can respond in a right way. Yeah. And uh, go if, you, ahead. if you remember uh, the book, The Insanity of God, I don't know if you've read mm-hmm. that, but mm-hmm. the author of the book interviewed Christians all over the Middle East and Russia and China who had been persecuted, who'd suffered for their faith. And he interviewed a Russian pastor one day, and he was marveling at their 
their response to persecution. And early one morning, as the sun was coming up, this, this Russian pastor took him, took him to a big picture window, mm. and he showed him the sun rising in the east. And, and he says to him, do you see the sun rising in the east? And he said, yes, sir, I do. And he said, persecution for us in Russia is like the sun mm. rising in the east. Wow. Mm. He says, persecution for us is as normal as the sun rising in the east. We expect persecution. It's an everyday occurrence for us. Yeah. Mm. And Jesus warned us. Yeah. And he told us to expect persecution. Now, in America, it's different. But in the rest of the world and throughout all of Christian history, persecution has been the norm. Yeah. In the Middle East, in China, in Indonesia, in in parts of Russia and, and in Africa, persecution of Christians has been the norm. Yeah. Jesus told us to expect it. Now, in, Mer- in America, we have been protected. But I perceive that that protection is waning. And I'm saying to Christians in America, be prepared. Because I believe that that persecution that's been so much a part of the Christian community throughout the church history yeah. is soon to come to our doorstep. Yeah, may well be the case. You know, uh, he says that we need to respond in a way that is like Jesus. As a matter of fact, uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 20 says, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I like the way someone said it. They said, don't curse it, don't rehearse it, don't nurse it, but do reverse it. And so as we face persecution, we face those things. We don't curse it. We don't curse at them. We don't rehearse the, the things that have happened to us and continue to live in them. We don't nurse it and, and, and kind of pay the poor me, but we reverse it with an attitude of overcoming evil with good. And so James, I believe it's James tells us, uh, or Peter, that we should not suffer for doing what is evil. Christians shouldn't suffer because we're doing things that are wrong, but for what but we suffer for doing good. When we do that, we suffer even as Christ has suffered. And so sometimes we as Christians can bring on persecution of ourselves because we're not doing the right things or we don't have a right spirit. I love the story about this little boy that stayed out on the his grandparents' farm one week in the summer. And uh, it seemed like everything that he wanted to do, his grandfather said, don't do that. Don't do that. And uh, finally, at the end of the week, he was walking out there in the pasture. And he saw this old lazy mule laying under the shade there. Uh, he saw a little calf, first of all, bouncing around, newly born. And uh, he said, uh, you must not be a Christian because you're having way too much fun. <laughs> and he finally saw that old lazy mule down there sleeping the day away. And he looked at that old mule and said, you must be a Christian. You act just like grandpa. And so, you know, when, when James and, and Jesus says, when you're suffering, don't put on a, a frown. Don't put on a... You know, poor me, don't put on an Eeyore spirit, but shine, reflect the light of Christ. And so Jesus is telling them these things so that when those moments would come, and they did for all of those disciples, we believe, Christian history at least tells us, that all but one died martyr's death. And that was John who suffered, certainly on the Isle of Patmos and through other things. But they did it with a resilient spirit. I think about Stephen and the glow, even as he was being stoned, yes. the face that was that of Christ. Yes. And so even as we face suffering, as we face persecution, that 
we would have a countenance and a spirit, because we're not surprised by it, mm-hmm. that we are able to do that in a way that reflects the glory of God and the joy of the Lord, that we can count it all joy when we say face suffering. You know, I believe that those folks, those Christians in Afghanistan, and we here who are willing to be prepared for that, God can use us in great ways. I'm, I'm always reminded, Chuck Colson used to tell a powerful story about in the fourth century, there was a little monk whose name was Telemachus, and he worked in a in a, in a monastery, kind of fixing food for the other monks. And uh, one day, he felt God calling him to Rome, and he protested. He said, "God, I don't belong in Rome. I belong here in this quiet community, uninterrupted, where I can f- focus on you." But he was unable to escape God's call, so he he went to a place he'd never been before. He went to the city of Rome, and he said, as he got to Rome, he was swept along by these massive crowds and the throngs of people. And he said he didn't understand. He just looked on their faces. It seemed their faces were filled with anger and hatred and violence until one day he was swept along into the Roman Colosseum, a place he never knew existed. He stood there on the perimeter wall as two gladiators would come out and they would pledge themselves to fight unto death. Uh, before the emperor and then they would fight until one would kill the other one and this bloodshed and this violence and the people he said cheered wildly for this and he thought to himself what has the world come to Hmm. that this kind of violence is cheered Hmm. and and encouraged he said what has happened to humanity and he thought to himself what can i do i'm one little voice i certainly can't make a difference but he just was unable to escape he was unable he said maybe this is why god sent me here to rome and so he stood on that perimeter wall and he shouted out to those next two gladiators in the name of christ forbear stop this fighting well one little voice among the thousand was easily drowned out and so uh, the crowds he cried, fight on, and cheered on these gladiators. But he was unable to, to escape that call that maybe this is why. That stand in this moment, why God had called him there. So he jumped down on the ascending arena of the Roman Colosseum, ran up to those gladiators, in his little voice cried out, in the name of Christ, forbear, stop this awful violence. One of the gladiators took his, his shield and, and easily threw him aside, and the crowds cried, fight on, give us blood, they cried. For some reason, young Telemachus felt like this was the call. This was the reason. This was the purpose. Knowing it would certainly mean endangerment, if not death, he couldn't just walk away. And so he wedged himself in between the two gladiators. And this time, looking up into the face shields, uh, into their eyes, he cried out, In the name of Christ, he said, I beg you, stop this awful violence. Well, he became an agitation now to the crowd. He was interrupting their entertainment. And so... History records they began to chant aloud, kill the monk, give us his blood. Mm. And that same gladiator, the moment earlier, had pushed him aside with the shield, took his sword now, and with one lash, slashed the young monk across the chest. And the young monk is lying now in the sandy arena of the Roman Colosseum, blood soaking the sand, gasping for breath. With his last breath, Dr. Jackson, he cried out, in the name of Christ, Forbear, stop this awful fighting. History records something that happened that day in the Roman Colosseum that had never happened before. Everyone stood there stunned in silence. Not a word could be heard, not a sound. Until after a few moments, somebody in the top tier of the Roman Colosseum stood up and walked out in silence. Somebody else followed. The entire Roman Colosseum, emperor and gladiator and all, emptied that day silently without a word. It was the last gladiator fight ever to take place in the history 
of the Roman Colosseum. One little monk who was willing to stand up in the face of persecution and ultimately death, but to speak and be that light changed the history of Rome and those kind of gladiator fights because he was willing to be that voice. And so whether a student in school or a mom at home or in a community or a dad or a person at work, having that faith to stand in courage and shine the light for Christ even in the face of adversity. What an amazing story. And see, this little monk gave his life. Yeah. He gave his life. Yeah. And he was willing to die for Christ. Yeah. And I'm so afraid that there will be many in Afghanistan who will do the same. Yeah. And mm. we need to pray for them. Yes. To be forewarned mm. is to be forearmed. Mm. Thank you, Pastor Hank, my brother, for a very powerful message from the Lord. And now we understand what the Christian's posture toward the world should be. You have been listening to More Than Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Jackson. My guest has been uh, Dr. Hank Williams from Boiling Springs First Baptist Church. And I hope you will return and visit with us again next week. Thank you very kindly. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information on how to contact the Jackson family, to schedule a speaking engagement, or how to obtain Dr. Jackson's books, go to jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast was produced by Bob Sloan Audio Productions.